Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church. Unlike normal Sundays, this week's sermon is a little more topical and it contains a sensitive language. So if you have little ears listening, be aware that there will be some adult topics covered. Uh, and if you're not ready to have conversations about those topics just yet, then this would be a great time to choose another sermon to listen to. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Lord Jesus, you are our king, you are our creator, you are the God of the universe. We acknowledge that you are alive, you are risen. And I ask that you would send your spirit now to fill us so that, Jesus, your church is equipped and built up. Father, I pray for strength. I pray for technology to work this service as it didn't last. I pray for against the distractions of the enemy, that you would bind him, uh, that you would help me, Lord, just to, to, in a way that is clear, in a way that expounds your grace and your mercy and your love, I teach truth. Lord, just that so we would have ears to hear. Father, please open the ears and the eyes of people here uh, so that they may hear truth, they may be shown truth. Lord, just so that we're more like Jesus, so that we love him more and that we serve him more and that we deny ourselves more and follow him. I, I have no ability in myself, Lord, to change or convince or even teach, and so I just ask that you would do it through me so that Christ, your son, is glorified in his church. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. <clears throat> For those who are visiting, my name's Bill, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we have been in a series on the book of Proverbs for the summer, but we're kind of taking a one-week hiatus, uh, as William said, and then we're going to come back next week um, and, and continue through there. Uh, I am not a guy who kind of likes controversy, so if you're thinking, oh, this is, you know, he just likes to f- a fight, that's not me. I like sweet tea and porch swings, that's me, okay? But... Um, Sometimes, because of just the way we're, our culture is headed, there's, there's a need to identify some things. And so we're going to just talk about this, this issue today of homosexuality in the church. If you're visiting for the first time, you have picked a doozy of a week, let me just tell you. So congratulations. I'm glad you're here. Um, no, we really are. And really, there's two deep desires behind this talk, two things that I have goals for us as a church. All right, whether you're visiting, whether this is your church. Number one is, and, and, and one of them is not to panic, by the way. Right? No matter what happens in the world, guess what? You cannot put Jesus back in the tomb. All right? So it doesn't matter. Everything else, he's, he is sovereign. He is in control. The Roman Empire was far more wicked than we could even fathom. So if we're like, oh, it's so bad in 2015. It's only bad because the Phillies are in the basement. That's the only reason it's bad. All right? <laughs> But it's not as bad as it's ever been, and it's not as bad as it's ever going to be. Just read the end. Read Revelation. So uh, Jesus is ruling and reigning and sovereign, and he is in control, and he can be trusted. So we're not panicking, but here's what I do want to do. Number one, it is my job, okay, to teach and equip you with Scripture. That's why I get paid the big bucks, all right? That's why I get the red shirt, because I am to teach the Scriptures, and so I want you to be equipped with what Scripture says. That's about this issue and about all issues. 
okay? Because in this room and in the overflow, video venue right now, I almost got 10 push-ups. I know, I almost said overflow. Sorry, it's a little staff thing. We can't say things because of Radford. Anyway, uh, <laughs> now I lost my train of thought. See, <laughs> we got people all over the spectrum here. We got brand new Christians in this room, never been taught the Bible in their life. We have Christians that have been saved for numerous years, all right? Been saved a long time. Usually wear a tie. You can identify them that way. We got folks, sorry, Harris, I got to see you back there. Uh, you're gold today, though. Uh, you got folks that are struggling with this issue. You got friends that have a child that, 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 that is, is given themselves to this lifestyle. We have fr- friends that just don't know anything about what anything says, and they're just kind of seeking. And so I want to take the scripture and just plainly explain what scripture says. That, that's my job. That's what God has called me to do. The second thing, my goal for today is this, is that we as a church, that CBC would be known as a place of such compassion and grace and hospitality that was shown to us at the incarnation, where Jesus leaves heaven and dwells among us, and that we would have that same compassion. Some people think church, when you show up at church, is supposed to be like a job interview. Right? We, have to, we have to look a certain way and project strength and look at my, got my resume and my spiritual resume is better than theirs. And I got to look over and ah, their power seat's like four years old. Look at mine. I'm good. I'm gold, right? And we, we want to be better than the guy next to us. That, and that's some churches. That's not us. The church should be more like the waiting room in a doctor's office. No one dresses up for the waiting room. They're wearing their sweatpants with the holes in them right? And makeup's all over their face and their hair's like mine right now. And you look over and it's like, so what's your problem? Because everyone's got a problem. That's why they're there. Oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a jerk. So I'm told, uh, you know, well, what's your problem? I'm a gossip. I'm, an, I'm angry. I'm a, whatever it is, you're broken. That's why you're here. Because Jesus didn't come for those who don't need a physician, but for those who are sick. So that's why we come. So if you're here for a job interview, you didn't get the job. You're fired. Get out. No, I'm just kidding. Okay? <laughs> we're here because we're broken, and we need a Savior. Okay? And, and we could talk about I could come at this subject from all these different angles. There's going to be questions. You're going to have questions at the end because I can't cover it in one week. Right? So two things. Number one, if you have questions about anything I say today, we have a team of pastors that will be in the coffee area right after. Grab them. They'll take you upstairs, and, and, and they love to answer questions. I mean, they're, they're willing to stay till 7 tonight, aren't y'all? Yes, they are. They're going to stay all day. That's why they get paid the big bucks, right? So, but they're here to answer questions or, or call the church, set up an appointment. We'd love to talk with you. But secondly, let me recommend some resources for you real quick. Okay, these are my top three right now. This one's probably number one, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert by Zaria Butterfield. Um, I, I won't spoil it for you, but here's a woman who is a professor. A, she was a lesbian, and the church loved her so well that she becomes a follower of Christ. It's her story. It's phenomenal. Google her name. There's video upon video of this woman. You can see she's all over the internet. It's a phenomenal book. It's a great read. This book in the middle is God Anti-Gay. This is written by a guy named Sam Albury. He's an he's a, uh, Anglican priest from the UK. He's a quirky, funny dude. You can Google him too. He wrote this book. He, at the age like 12, 13, re- recognized that he had same-sex attraction. All right? And he's chosen to live his life celibate for Christ, and now he's a priest. And this is really his story and just kind of his unpacking of that. It's a, he's, he's, he's an awesome speaker. You can get him. You can Google him. He's all over the web, too. And then this one is just Kevin DeYoung's. Very simple, very cookies on the lower shelf. But really, what does the Bible say? And it unpacks every passage and all the arguments against and for. It's just a simple little book, not very long, 150-so pages. 
all three are worth your $8.99 at Amazon. Okay, so if you have questions about those, they're also on our website under our uh, recommended resources on our web. So, um, so those will answer any further questions. But how do we respond? What does the scripture say? That's what we're talking about. Okay, here's where we go. Where do we start? We don't start in Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, I know some of you are like, oh, he's going to start in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start in Mark chapter 1. So turn there if you have a Bible. And, you know, the technology's been a little shady lately, so y'all should probably bring your Bibles, just so you know, because slides are going in and out, you know, just like all the time. So but Mark chapter 1 is basically Jesus going live, okay? This is, he's, he's lived 30 years in obscurity, making tables. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. He goes in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by the devil. He comes out, and this is kind of his first thing he says. This is before the golden rule. This is before the love your enemies. This is all, before all that stuff, here's what Jesus says, Mark 1. The time is fulfilled. He makes this unbelievable statement, assuming that all reality revolves around himself. No one can make that statement except for Jesus. But he said, the kingdom is here. All the prophets, all the stuff in the Old Testament, everything everyone's been talking about, the culmination of human history, this is, this is the most important thing that's ever happened is me showing up, is in essence what he's saying. And because he's showing up, if we're going to follow him, he gives us two responses. He says, repent and believe in the gospel, in the good news. Two responses. One is a cost, one is good news. Let's talk about the cost, all right? The cost is, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to repent. That's a real churchy word, I know. All repent means is to turn around, boop, 180 degrees. That's what repentance means. You just turn around. So a couple, you know, about a year ago when the new Truman was open, right, I had to go to Lowe's after church, after work. And so I do the normal go out, and then I made a right on Duren because that's the normal way that I usually go. And then I realized when I'm sitting in traffic getting mad, wait a minute, there's an entire new way. And so what did I do? I did a U-turn. I repented right there in the middle of the red. And I turned around and I went the entire new beautiful way that takes me right to Lowe's. That's repentance. And what Jesus is implying is every single one of us is headed in the wrong direction. We have desires. We have thoughts that are contrary to him. And if you're going to follow him, you got to turn around and you repent. Right? There's the cost. Right? That is the cost. But what do we repent from? Right? And, and why, isn't it great, by the way, that Jesus tells you right up front? There's no hidden language. There's no kind of small print at the bottom. There's no 73-page contract or 1,000-page law. Right up front. Because how many times do we just check the box and we don't read it? You do it all the time. Do you agree to the terms? Yes, Apple, I do. I just sold you my soul, probably. I don't even know what I read, but I agree to the terms. How many times? Agree, agree, check the box. Jesus doesn't let you just check the box. He tells you right up front. This is the cost. Turn, right? Turn. And what do we turn from? Not the stuff out there, not the bad, bad world. We turn from not something that's outside, but something that's inside. And so later on in, in Matthew 15, Jesus is having a de- one of his many debates with these religious leaders called the Pharisees, right? And, and they're thinking, they're trying to, you know, what really makes you impure in God's eyes? What defiles you? And they're saying, yeah, you drink a, a Coca-Cola and it's got a bug in it. That that's defiles you. You don't wash your hands with Purell before you go out to eat after church. And that, that, that defiles you. Jesus says, that, none of those defile you. 
It says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And the, this, the heart, is what defiles a person, right? What comes out of the heart? Because the heart's broken because you're going down to rend the wrong way. What, what comes out of the heart? Evil thoughts. Now, well, let's just not zoom in on homosexuality because that's the topic of the day. Let's talk about evil thoughts, right? You got, somebody took your seat that you were saving for so-and-so. Evil thought. <laughs> right? Somebody, oh, no more space. I got to park across the street. Evil thought. Kids not ready. Spouse not ready for church. Evil thought. These come out of the heart. Theft. How many of you watched some videos at, at work this week? Stealing from your employees. Slander. Out of the heart, these defile a person. Why? Because we're broken. We're headed the wrong direction. And one of the things that's broken because of Adam's fall is your sexuality. There's adultery. And then Jesus points out, he says, and, and sexual immorality comes out of the heart. Now, this is a generic term, pornea, which just means everything outside the context of marriage between a husband and wife is, is pornea. It's an all-inclusive, everything-covered term. It's often said, well, Jesus never actually talks about homosexuality in the Gospels. It's, it's not true. This term, this one term, covers it all. Homo and heterosexual, right? Looking at porn, covered. Friends with benefits, covered. Shacking up with your boyfriend, covered. Frat party, girls gone wild, covered. All of it right here in this term. It's as if it's the same thing if I said, everyone in the church today, uh, we, church is paying for you to have lunch at Barbaritos afterwards. All right? We are not doing that. <laughs> I'm just using this as an example. But if the whole church, everyone's got free lunch at Barbaritos, just go over there and tell them you're at CBC. You cannot come up to me afterwards and say, well, it, it doesn't count for me because you didn't call my name. No, I did. I said everyone. That's what Jesus is saying when he says pornea. Everything that sexual immorality of all types, homosexual, heterosexual, whatever it is, is all just an expression of a broken heart. And it needs to be turned from, right? It needs to be turned from. It's not that homosexuality is the, the worst sin and the last sin on the train to hell. That's a misunderstanding of Romans 1 in the text, right? What it is, is just another expression of brokenness because of the fall that needs to be turned from, just like your pornography needs to be turned from. Well, we're going to talk about that in just three weeks. So if you think we're just talking about this, au contraire, mon frere, we're coming back. Right? But, but it, it's just one of many things that needs to be turned from. And the church has not done a good job here because we've just kind of lumped everything into one kind of big bucket and said, that's just that, right? And so people that have a propensity towards sin and people are tempted towards sin, we kind of just make it all one big deal. But look, temptation to do something is not sin. We all have to, some of us have more propensity to, to fall into alcoholism, whether it's, there's a, a nurture or a nature issue there. Some of us are more prone to anger. Some of us more prone to lust. Some of us more prone to gambling, right? You have propensities towards different issues for different reasons. Some people in the church struggle with same-sex attraction statistically about 6%, where at some point in their life, they were attracted to someone of the same sex, 6%. Some struggle with what's called same-sex orientation, where about 2%, where you're exclusively attracted to a person of the same sex. And then those who have actually chosen to follow those impulses, it's somewhere between 1% and 2%. Now, Hollywood and the culture would make you think it's like 96% of us, right? But it's really a very small portion of our, of our culture, 1% to 2%. But the point is this, the temptation to do something is different than doing it. We are all tempted to many. Anyone not face temptation? 
right? And so this may not be your struggle, this may be your struggle, but to lump it all in and just say, this is all this, it doesn't give hope to the person that says, I don't know why I feel this way, and I don't necessarily want it, but this is the way I feel. It doesn't give them hope. It doesn't make this a doctor's office. It makes it a job interview, right? And so we need to, we need to recognize that, right? But that's the beauty of the call of Jesus. He's not calling just one group. You guys continue to do your little thing. You're fine. This group, you guys need to rein it in. He calls everybody repentance. You're like, well, this is not my issue. Yeah, but you're a jerk. So you need to repent from your jerkness. Yeah, you're lazy. We've been talking about anger. We talked about pride. This is you. You turn from it all and believe in Christ. Right? And so Jesus is an equal opportunity repenter. He says, everyone repents of what it is. Wherever your direction you're broken, you turn. So it's not we're picking on one thing. Everyone who takes up his cross must deny himself and follow, right? All are called. And, and this is why, y'all, the scripture is so vital because my heart is broken and my desires are broken and they are not trustworthy. In fact, Rosaria Butterfield, who, who wrote the first book I shared, she says that Adam's fall rendered my deep and primal feelings untrustworthy and untrue. I can't be trusted. The heart is desperately wicked. Right? There's none who seeks God. And, and really, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what Hollywood says. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. The only thing that matters for us is what King Jesus says. And he has spoken in his word. He says his word cannot be broken, that every little I is going to be dotted and every T is going to be crossed, that the word of God endures forever. If the flower fades and the, and, and the grass withers. And so we got to come to a place as a church, and this is what we hold to as a church, y'all, that we are under the scriptures, that we submit ourselves. The first S in our spec is that we submit ourselves to, to the scriptures. And so we got to ask, what does the scripture clearly teach? Because it's clear. It, it is. You're going to hear all sorts of stuff. You read the blogs, you Google it, you, you read the commentaries. Well, Jesus didn't really say this, and it, it doesn't really mean. Whenever you hear didn't really mean or didn't really say, your little spiritual ears ought to go up. Because you've been here long enough that you've t I've told you, how does Satan work every time he gets you to question God's goodness and his word? Genesis 3, God didn't really say you're going to die. He's just keeping good stuff from you. It always comes back to doubting the word of God. Always. Jesus, when he's being tempted, God is not providing for you. You need to be baked bread, bread for yourself. It always questions God and his word. Your, soul, your ears ought to go up. Right? The enemy will attack the truth of Scripture because he doesn't want you to believe it. So let's just look at what God says. Let's look at some of the passages he's very clear on. Let's talk about what he, what he says, what Jesus says about marriage. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 19. And this is, again, one of those places where Jesus is in a debate. Pharisees are trying to trick him. They ask him one of those trick questions. Whatever way he answers, he loses. Right? It's one of those, like, how long have you, when are you going to stop being stupid? Well, if I say now, then I've admitted that I'm stupid. And if I say never, then I'm admitting that I'm stupid. So it's one of those kind of trick questions on divorce. If he answers one way, he's soft. If he answers one way, he doesn't believe the Bible. And so they think they got him. And, and, and he's talking now, remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They memorized the scripture, like all of it, all right? They, all they did was study the Bible. And so Jesus' answer to them is brilliant when he's talking to them. He says this, have you not read? It's, it's just great. It's, like he, he, it's, it's he's almost making fun of me. He's like, so in all your expertise and memorization and reading, did you ever get as far as, say, chapter one of Genesis, where it says, from the beginning, he made them male and female? 
Did you get that far? Right? And then he makes a conclusion. Because they've been made male and female in the image of God, therefore, or because, because they're male and female, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Right? He says, from the beginning, they were male and female, and because they were male and female, we have this thing now called marriage, this one flesh relationship. It is predicated on what? Male and female. That is part of the design. The two becoming one only happens because there is male and female. It is the difference that makes them unique. And Jesus is, in essence, defining what marriage is right here. I know that's massively countercultural, and I wouldn't say it if he didn't say it. But the difference is what makes marriage possible. That's the design. Now, let me be clear what about what I'm saying, what I'm not saying. I am not saying that two gay people cannot love each other. I'm not saying that. We're not saying they can't be committed to one another and even in a committed relationship. We are not saying that. What we are saying scripturally is that the strength of our feelings is not the issue. The issue is the kind of union that results into a one flesh relationship only happens between male and female. That is part of God's design because there's a complementary nature there. Just like everything else in creation, heaven and earth, land and sea, light and dark, male and female. And so Jesus concludes saying, what God therefore has joined, let no man separate. He, it's his creation. We don't get to change what he has done. It's not a man-made deal. Man didn't make up marriage. God did. It is his masterpiece. Right? I don't go into the Louvre. And go see the Mona Lisa and be like, you missed the smile on this thing. It's wrong, all wrong, the grin, right? It, it's all oh, the background, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. I was a PE major, which is why last night I thought Michelangelo painted the thing, because I was apparently told <laughs> that it was Leonardo da Vinci, right? And I said, it doesn't matter. They're all Ninja Turtles, so it doesn't matter, <laughs> all right? It's one of the four, but I'm wicked at kickball. But the point is this, this is God's design, and it is good, right? And I don't get to change it, nor does anybody, because ultimately, marriage is about something greater than just two people living together. It pictures something that really the entire Bible is about. You have thought the Bible begins with a wedding, Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding, the Bible ends with a wedding. Why? Because it's about something greater. It's about Jesus Christ winning a people for himself, a bride. And so Paul, when he quotes Genesis 1 and 2, and, and, and the two times Jesus quotes this verse, he says, this mystery is profound, y'all. He's from the South. He says, and I'm saying it's referring to Jesus and the church. Marriage is supposed to picture Jesus' relationship with his church, where he was one of us, but yet he was distinct. Right? He is man, he is human, but he is not like us because he is perfect God-man. And that can only be pictured when there's a difference, male and female, not male and male, not female and female, only when there's unity and diversity, right? That's why it's so vital. It's not just about two people and love winning and all these things. It's about a picture of what God has been about from the beginning, right? That's what it's about. So he's been, Jesus teaches clearly man and woman. What else is the scripture clear about? Let me just give you a couple other passages, all right? In the Old Testament, Leviticus, for the, for the people of Israel, this was their law, that you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. That's, that's pretty clear. And 
Some of the commentaries of people will say, well, what he's talking about, that word abomination means idolatry. So not in the context of idolatrous feasts was this to take place. You can't go to the big festivals and when there's big you know, orgies going on, you can't deal, can't do that. But if it's consensual, it's good. It has nothing to do with consent. It's everything to do with gender. And, and verse 23, right after this, says you shouldn't lie with, a, a, with an animal. It doesn't say you shouldn't lie with an animal at parties and everywhere else it's good. What's the, what the point is, it's not good because it's not sane, right? Human and animal. And so you, you can't use that argument. It's clear. 2013, if a man lies with a male as a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. It was a death penalty offense for Israel, right? He says it's an abomination. And, and here's, the, here's what you're going to hear. You Christians are so inconsistent. Yeah, you'll talk about this, but how many of y'all ate some bacon this week, Right? How many of you checked the tag and it says, you know, mixed blends, polyester? See, you just pick and choose which law. Some of you get tattoos now. Some of you have earrings. Well, you just pick and choose what you like, right? Because those things are, in the Old Testament code, those things are, are forbidden as well. So how do you guys be so inconsistent? You're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's why. And, and we could say a lot here, but here's the, here's the cliff notes, that Jesus fulfilled all the ceremonial law. All the feasts, all the don't eat your bacon, all the uh, go up here, do this, all the sacrifices is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But there is still a moral law that is still in play that the New Testament continually comes back to. No one argues about bestiality. No one argues about incest. Incest is still a sin in the New Testament. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, when the, the boy is sleeping with his stepmom, doesn't say, oh, as long as it's consensual, it's fine. He says it's sin. Adultery is still forbidden in the New Testament. Honor your father and mother. That's still there. Rape, still sin. So the moral side of the, the, the behind the law is still in play. Right? And what does the New Testament say about homosexuality, immorality in general? 1 Corinthians 6 runs the gamut. Paul says, do you not know that unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, don't just pick out the one sin. Find yourself in the list because you're on the list. All right? He says, don't be deceived. The sexually immoral. Okay, that's the guy looking at porn. That's the guy hooking up with his girlfriend. That's you, right? No idolaters. That's you who didn't love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength this week. Anybody there? No adulterers. That's the guy who looked at the girl in the, in the tights when she walked by. With a, that, that's you, adultery. Thieves, greedy, drunkards, swindlers, none of them inherit. If this is your lifestyle, this, this shows that you're not regenerate. You're not, you're not a follower. Doesn't mean that you, if you ever did this, you can't go to heaven. But if this is you, this is characterizes you, since you're not born again. But one of the things it says there is men who practice homosexuality. And the ESV actually takes the two Greek words that are used and combines it into one. And the Greek words refer to the, both the active and the passive partner in the, in the sexual relationship. And, and the active partner, the word that he uses there, Paul actually makes up his own new word. If you are Mr. Webster or an apostle, you get to make up your own words. All right, And so Paul makes up a word, and you don't have to be a scholar to see where he gets it from. He takes it right out of Leviticus 20, and the Greek translation of that, when it has two words for men who lie with men, he combines those two words, men who lie with men, combines it into one brand new word translated, the practice homosexuality, the active partner. Right? He, he pulls it right out of the law. And this is important because you're going to hear folks say, well, this, he's not talking about homosexuality, he's talking about prostitution. He's talking about man-boy rape. 
Where does he get the word? He gets it right out of the law. He, he creates it out of the code. It has nothing to do with consent. It has everything to do with gender. That's, that's the point, right? Same thing in Romans 1. This reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Why? Because they denied what they knew about God, what was evident. So their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. Men did the same thing. So, and, and you're going to hear if you read the blogs, well, what it's talking about is a girl who's attracted to other girls, but she dates guys. That's not natural to her because she's attracted to girls. This doesn't have anything to do with orientation. It has everything to do with gender. That's a reading into a, the text to try to justify truth, right? And again, my, the point is not to make this the worst sin on the rung. I, it's not the worst sin on the rung. You know, the only unforgivable sin is unbelief. It's unbelief, right? But the point is that when we suppress truth, we will believe a lie. And we will follow after our desires, which are not reliable, right? And as, as followers of Jesus, Here's where this is important. This is a lot for the young people. Because I know since you were a little guy, you've been watching TV shows and having teachers and having professors and that try to make this acceptable and make it the norm. Right? And, and understand that's the, that's the heart of it. This is not about committed relationships and love winning and tolerance. This is about affirmation that the world wants to be affirmed in their sin. And as a church, who follows the perfect Savior who is holy, we cannot celebrate nor endorse sin. No more than I could say, yeah, you want to live together and try it before you buy it? Go ahead. Right? Could I do that? No. Nor can we endorse and celebrate sin that Jesus says needs to be turned from. In fact, the next a couple of verses down, Paul says this, they know God's righteous degree. Those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval. We, as the people of God, who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, cannot endorse and celebrate something that is, that is called sin. Because if we're called to love people with such a great love, I cannot push them towards something that will destroy them. I, if I really love them, that's going to separate them from God forever? We cannot, right? Because Jesus has been clear. And look, this is not Fun or easy for me to preach? I would much rather preach love, joy, peace, and Santa Claus, okay? But I love you and I love Jesus. And Jesus says, if I love him, I'm going to tend his little lambs. And if, he, if I love him, I'm going to feed his sheep. And I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to, right? I want you to know that he loves you and he's been very clear. And we cannot change the meaning nor can we say, oh, it doesn't really say that. In fact, even those on the other side of the issue acknowledge that it says what it says. Let me just read you a quote by, by a guy named T Luke Timothy Johnson. He's an adjunct professor at Mercer. He is pro-same-sex so marriage. He's pro-homosexual. He's written several articles. He's kind of a noted scholar in that camp. And this is what he says about these texts. <laughs> he says, I think it's important to state clearly that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience of thousands of others who have witnessed to, and he goes on. Uh, he's teaching at a seminary, okay? This is a seminary professor, and he says, we reject the scripture and we go to a higher authority. He's honest, right? He's just being honest. The question is this, where is your authority? Because if it's my desires... 
I can just tell you, they are deceitful. They are broken. They are not trustworthy, right? They're just not. Jesus has told us. And the culture will tell you, and this is the kind of, it's right out of Floyd. It started 150 years ago. But that your sexuality is who you are. Your desires, your passions, that is who you are at your core. And then if life is not worth living, if you can't live it out, that is what you hear. Right? That's your identity. Your sexual identity is everything because we have a sex-saturated culture. But my identity cannot be found in my desires. That is a woefully inadequate way to, to account for my identity. Just woeful. My desires don't, don't say who I am. They don't make me who I am. My, de- my identity is found in Jesus. My identity is found in what he's made me. He's made me male. And so when I am raised again, Bill Fowler will be taller and male. <laughs> Just like Jesus, when he was raised again, he was Male. That is part of my eternal identity, right? Not my feelings. If my sexuality is all there is, then of course I need to do and do what I'm going to do. But Jesus has shown me the good news. And look, if this is your struggle, if it's same-sex attraction or any kind of immorality, there's good news for you in Christ, not just in his message, but in his life. He has modeled the fact that sexual desires are not the key to living. How do I know? Because he was single and celibate. He never had sex. He was the most fulfilled, perfect, complete person who ever lived, and he was celibate. Right? And, and so my fulfillment and my worth in life and my identity is not contingent to me satisfying my desires. It doesn't mean I put my desires away or that I'm indifferent to them, pretending they're not there, but I am not bound to them however deep or strong they may be. And they're strong. No one's denying it. No one is denying it. That's why Paul says you've got to put to death the deeds of the flesh. But I can promise you this on the authority of Scripture, that there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is common, not common to man. That God is faithful, and with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. Right? And that's for heterosexual, homosexual, everything. Right? I'm not denying the phys- physical propensities or experiences. I'm not trying to minimize them. I'm not saying they're not strong. What I'm saying is Jesus is better. And he offers a new identity in himself. Right? And that's, that's why this issue, by the way, is not a, it's not a race issue. It's not a civil rights issue. And that's kind of the new kind of thing. Gay is the new black. It, it's not a civil rights issue. Christians ought to be the most civil rights-minded people, by the way, in the world, because we believe everyone is equal because they're made in the image of God. So we, be, we ought to be on the forefront of the civil rights issues, and the church has failed, by the way, for the last 200 years, segregation, slavery, all these other things. But that doesn't, this is not the replacement for women voting. See, race is not a moral choice. I didn't choose to be short white dude, all right? I promise. That was not my choice but I can choose to obey my desires. When I look at the throne room of heaven, Revelation 6, what do I see? All tribes, all tongues, all nations, everybody. That is part of your eternal identity, not your desires. So it's not the same. It's, it's just not, it's not the same idea. Um, and, and it's important that you understand that this is something that we are called to deny ourselves and follow, right? To deny and to follow. 
And as this is where we stand as a church. You're wondering, where does the church stand? We humbly and graciously hold to the truth of Scripture. And so if two guys want one of a staff to do their wedding, we, we will not do it. Um, welcome to come and, and be and sing and, and join. But if they want to join the church, we're, we're going to call everybody to repentance. Right? If you're living with, with your girlfriend, we're going to call you to repent and turn, to move out. If you're, if you're living in, a, in, a, in a, a relationship that's bad, if you're drunk, if you're doing all we're going to call you to turn. That's what we're going to do because that's what Jesus, all of us, no one gets out. You turn and believe in the good news. That's where we're going to be. The time I got. Okay, good. I'm running good. Um, let me talk just a few minutes about how do we as a church, because I, I, I could go to more texts and I can go sign with more. I can do all these things, but the text is clear. But what I, wanted, what I do want to do is some of you, know, and I'm going to be firm, but I'm going to be gentle at the same time, so hear me. Some of you know this and you're arrogant about it and you're a jerk, right? And you don't, truth for you is something for you to beat people up with and it's not something for you to offer gracious. And I want to I talk just for a few moments how do we as a church make sure this is a doctor's office? That, that's, that's what matters, right? Because Jesus was a friend of sinners. You realize that, right? That when he calls Levi to be one of his followers, the next moment he is in Levi's house, Levi's Matthew, by the way, and he's eating with all the tax collectors. He's sitting at one guy's house, and a prostitute comes up to him after working the night shift and washes his feet with her hair. And everyone's shocked that Jesus would let, get that close to her, and he forgives her, right? So he's, he, he's a friend of sinners. CBC is a friend of sinners because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And if the church is not for the broken, then who's the church for, right? And so, so let me just give you a couple thoughts on this, and then we'll worship. Number one, if the, your first response is anger when we talk about this, then, then I think you've missed the gospel. If you're yelling at the president and mad about everything and, you know, you're just angry, you need to go back to 1 Corinthians 6 and you need to find yourself in the list. Because, you know what, this, this I'm being honest, this is not my issue. It's just not. But I can tell you what, that was. Oh, that one is. Oh, that was. Oh, yeah. Mm, oh, more than most of you. Uh, <laughs> that one. I'm, I'm eight for nine, y'all. I don't know about you. That was me. And it's still, temptation's still there. But you got to remember, what, what does verse 11 say? And such were some of you. This, this was you. What did Jesus do? He washed you. He sanctified you. He justified you in his name and by his spirit. So how dare any of us stand and say, oh, look how, how good we are. When that, we are in the list. Right? So we come not arrogant to the throne of grace, but humble. Recognizing that was us. Right? So that's where we start. And then we should be experts on hospitality. Hospitality is not cupcakes on the 4th of July and pumpkins in the fall, all right? That's what we think about hospitality, right? That's not 
hospitality. It's not a female virtue. It is a virtue of the people of God. Right? Be hospitable, each one of you. That's, that's what Peter says. That's for all of us. Why? Because God entered the world and he dwelt among us and he pursued us. And so our lives should be lived in such a way that when someone says Christians are bigots and they're a jerk and they're intolerant, that that doesn't stick to you. Right? It doesn't stick. That the guy, may, the guy may say, you know what? I think they're idiots and I think what they believe is backwards, but that dude's never been anything but nice to me. In fact, we were over having, you know, we were eating barbecue last week at his house. When I had surgery, he cut my lawn. He took care of my, my pets when, when I went out of town. That dude's nothing but kind and loving. So yeah, I think he's an idiot, but he's a good dude. That's the kind of reputation Christians ought to have, right? That's it, that we ought to be hospitable. Second, a third thing, that we ought to be great friends. So if a friend shares a struggle with you and they know you're a Christian, that's a bold move, y'all. And the last thing you do is go to Romans 1. Well, let me tell you what Paul says in Romans 1. That's just like someone just loses their mom and you go to Romans 8. God works all things together. That's just dumb. Okay, if that's you, we got counseling for you this week. Come upstairs. Because that's not what you do then. Just listening to Sam Albury, watched a lot of his videos this week, the one who wrote God Anti-Gay. He says, if someone shares with you, whether it's your teenage child, whether it's your, your, your uncle, if someone, your friend, then you ought to say, thank you for sharing something so personal. And then you ought to be just a good listener. He says, ask questions. How long have you felt this way? What are your struggles? How can I be a great friend to you? Because I promise, if you're a great friend and you show your interest in them, God will open the door for the word that you may speak forth the mystery of Christ down the road at some point. He will. And, and so you, you pursue a friendship. If they, if they have a partner, hey, why don't you guys come over? We're going to cook out some ribs. I'd love to meet. I'd love to talk. It's, it's being a friend of sinners. You're not endorsing what they do by being kind and loving. Right? That's, that, you have to understand. Third, a fourth thing. We got to be really good in making strong families in the church. Right? Because here's, the, here's what we hear from the people out they're like, you Christians, all you care about is homosexual marriage, but you got just as high, a, you don't talk about divorce. You guys got just as high a divorce as everyone else. And, and so you guys are just hypocrites. And there's a little bit of truth to that. Not completely statistically, but there's a little truth. If you are so mad about this issue, and oh, I can't believe that they did this, but yet you haven't taken your wife on a date in seven months, bro, you got bigger issues that you need to repent of. Because if your marriage is supposed to picture Jesus in the church, and you're more worried about everyone else's than your own, you got, you got issues, right? Our families ought to be examples of light and of the gospel, right? That's huge. If you're playing with immorality and pornography or flirting with the, the boss or, or all these little things, look, you need, that, you're on the list. You need to turn. That's your issue, right? Don't, don't be a hypocrite and be so worried about that but not be to take care of your own deal at home important. We got to be great dads and moms. Dads, we cannot be that harsh dad that never, that the kids never measure up. We'll drive them away. Moms, you can't be a man hater, right? You're going you're gonna to teach your daughters that. It, it's going to be, it's going to go down, and I'll tell you, they'll find acceptance in someone who will teach them opposite, right? 
Right? If you can't have relational chaos going on in the house. Don't force your kids to try to be something or not. They don't need to be an offensive lineman to be masculine. God may have made them an artist, a writer, right? That, that's the way he designed them, and that's good. So let them be that. Don't take your, your girl maybe a little bit. Maybe she likes, doesn't like wearing dresses. She likes wearing soccer cleats. Great. She might win a World Cup one day. Let God use her to do that. Don't try to force them into this thing. This is what I describe. This God, there's all sorts of things. What we do is we say, this is masculine, this is feminine, and we kind of throw it in the box. And if you don't fit the box, you feel like you don't accept it, you're not accepted anywhere. I'll tell you who you accept you anywhere. The homosexual community will accept you anywhere. Very accepting of you. Right? We could probably learn a lot from them in that. But, but don't, try, you know, don't try to shape, don't try to take some reparative therapy. Love your children where they're at. Affirm your sons. Tell them you're proud of them. Tell your daughters how beautiful they are to you. Hug them. Love on them. Right? These, these are just simplistic things we do in the home. As a church, don't idolize marriage. Marriage is not a good God. And it's not a solution for lust or loneliness. If you're thinking, I just want to get married because it'll take care of lust. Wrong. And if you think it'll take care of all my loneliness, there are plenty of lonely people in marriages. Right? Marriage is great. It is good. It is a gift. You know what else is a gift? Singleness. The Bible calls it a gift. Some people in the church are called to singleness, and that's good. Does it mean you're going to be lonely and have a life that's unfulfilling? Not if Jesus has anything to say about it. And so stop trying to marry everyone off. All right? Some people in this church are called to celibacy and singleness, and that's good. And let me just talk, and I, this is not on the, on the thing. If you're dating, all right, this is just for the singles because I hear stuff, y'all. I hear stuff. Just because you go on one date with someone does not mean you're getting married, all right? <laughs> Christians need to get over that. You can go to Subway and not get a marriage license right afterwards. You can go out and, and be friends. Don't take it so seriously. I'm not saying just friends with benefits, but I'm saying just because you go out one time does not mean you're married. So chill. All right? Okay, that's my outside the sermon. All right? If people are different in the church, you got to be willing to move towards them. I talked to one lady this week. Her son uh, is, is a homosexual. And she said, you know, she was new. He was a little bit effeminate. And that, that, that might be a struggle. And, and because he was, he's artistic, he's into design, he, she, she actually, she, I mean, guys would stay away because they're like, that can't be the church. We gotta love people where they're at. Different, same. Because the net gain for a person that comes to faith, they ought to find a family. They ought to find more daddies, more mommies, more sisters, more brothers, more grandparents. That's the church. It's not some place you come in and go out and you fill out your bulletin. And that's what we need to be. We just need to focus on the family and being a family and our families. Because those who struggle in this area, it's a very lonely place sometimes. And if, it, if, this is your, if you're wrestling with this and you haven't told anybody, and please come talk to me. Come talk to William. We'll have those pastors in there after, after the service and just grab them and go upstairs. Set up an appointment. Come talk to us. We're not going to kick you out. We're not, we want to love on you. We want to walk with you. We want you to find hope in Christ and an identity, not in your desires, but in what he has made you and created you to be. That, that's why we're here. It's the doctor's office, y'all. Right? And we're not the doctor, but we know him. 
right? We know who he is, right? And so come talk to us. And, and the last thing is this and, this, and this is a biggie, is despite where the culture may go, we don't cave on the truth because we can't. If we don't hold fast to the gospel and the scripture, then what hope do we offer people who are broken? We're a doctor's office without medicine. We're, we don't have a doctor. He's got an office. If we don't hold to the truth of the gospel and the truth of the scripture, we have nothing to offer people who are broke. And I've told you the statistics before. Every single denomination that has caved on this issue has, has plummeted, most of them more than 50% within 20 years. Some of them are just now caving. You wait. 20 years from now, they'll be gone. Why? Because there's no power. There's no spirit. They're dead. You leave the Holy Spirit and his word out of it. It's gone. It's a man-made deal. You would think, oh, they're more inclusive. They should grow. They actually don't. They go the opposite way. Right? Because you cannot forsake God and his word and expect he's going to empower that. Now, we're going to hold to truth with love because love without truth is brutal, as Wearsby says. And, and, truth, and, and, and truth without love is, is hypocrisy. Or love without truth is hypocrisy. So we hold the truth with love because 1 Corinthians 13 teaches me I can preach the greatest sermon ever preached besides the Sermon on the Mount, which I won't, but I could. And I don't have love and it's a noisy gong. And you can give all your money to the poor. And if you don't have love, it's nothing. And you can give your life and be burned at the stake. And if you have not love, it prospers you nothing. So we're going to hold to the truth of the gospel. And we're going to love everyone who comes through those doors. But we're still going to call them like Jesus to turn and repent. And as, and as the book of Acts says, and be refreshed. There's times of refreshing when you repent. And so the question is this. Go back to this. What are were you? We're going to spend some time in worship. You guys can come on up. Just ask yourself this. Where, where was I? Where was I in the list? And maybe this is your issue and maybe it's not. Maybe pride is your issue. Maybe anger. But I want you to spend some time as, we, as these guys come and we're just going to worship, just sitting for a few moments and, and reflecting where was I and what has Jesus done for me? Right? That, that's where we're at. And, it, and, and if you're not a Christian this morning, here is the good news, that you are not your identity, your sexual identity. You are made in God's image. He left heaven, died on a cross in your place for your sins, for your sins, for your desires, your brokenness. And he says, if you turn to me and believe, you're not turning from an orientation. You're not turning from a lifestyle. You're turning from unbelief, ultimately. Turn to me, believe in me that I died for you in your place, that I am God, that I rose again. He offers eternal life. He offers a new identity. He offers forgiveness and washing. And it doesn't matter what you've done, that you are free. And you will spend an eternity fulfilled with him. And if you have never done that, I'd invite you to do it today. And if you have questions about that, grab one of these guys over here. We'll talk to you, right? But this is a time for the church to reflect. Where was I? What has Jesus done for me? And then we'll stand and we will sing and we will worship.